Let's build back better is the buzz phrase this pandemic. The classic ask though is how. As we scroll across our news feeds day on day, we hear health sectors including retail, hospitality, creative, and many more are struggling to deal with the current pandemic disruptions. What if I tell you there's an interesting way to pay it forward? To have a say in protecting businesses that you don't want to part with. To play a role in building better with as low as a pound or perhaps a penny. This inclusive funding vehicle has an innovative winning streak to it and is none other than crowdfunding. A big thank you to Crowdfunder, UK's number one crowdfunding platform for supporting and sponsoring this dialogue. Don't forget to check their web link in our description. The Winning Side, a series of dialogues about winning themes, such as diversity and inclusion, creating social impact and leading change. Hello and welcome to the Winning Side Suite. This is your host, Sarah Hassan. And today I, along with two wonderful guests, am going to initiate a constructive dialogue on building back better with a special focus on crowdfunding. Crowdfunding, as literal as it can get, is a way of raising funds from crowds. That is, you, I, and our wider networks, really, mostly through an internet-based platform. It has a win-win dynamics to it. Simply put, it involves three key stakeholders. One, being the idea generator or the campaigner. Two, being the crowds who fund it. And three, being the platform provider. What it offers in return varies. It could be equity, it could be loan, it could be a reward or donation for that matter. I'd like to give a special mention to Crowdfunder, which is UK's number one crowdfunding platform. They have really transformed the way people raise money in the UK. To date, they have raised 100 million pounds through crowdfunding campaigns. For businesses, social enterprises, charities, communities, individuals across the UK. This implies that almost 300 projects are added to the platform every day for the purpose of funding via this vehicle. The plus point about them really is that they don't just provide the online support, but also provide coaching services. By the end of this dialogue, you feel you have a burning idea that will definitely be a huge success with the crowds. I think you should definitely visit the link for Crowdfunder in our description and explore the world of crowdfunding. Is crowdfunding a new concept or funding vehicle for that matter? No. It's an evolving concept though. With increased digitalization and the current market dynamics, I believe it is very well positioned as an inclusive funding vehicle with widespread reach to a diverse audience. To give a rough idea, global crowdfunding market was estimated to be 371 billion euros in 2017. That's huge. To give added context, let's take a step back and look at how historically crowdfunding campaigns have done wonders. I'll share three of my favorite examples. My first one is really from the creative sector where Mozart, the famous music composer, 
initiated a campaign to fund his concerts in Vienna. So the way he did it was that he offered the crowds who donated the funds his manuscripts, really. So it was a reward-based crowdfunding initiative. Statue of Liberty is the next historical campaign which involved crowdfunding, really. It was erected on its pedestal via sourcing funds through crowdfunding. Joseph Bitzer did the honors and he offered to publish Donator's name in his newspaper, The New York World. My ever-favorite and more recent modified example of crowdfunding is that of a Nobel Prize winner, Mohammed Yunus, from Grameen Bank, Bangladesh. He offered microcredit to classes of people firmly out of scope from mainstream funding, such as those below the poverty line, those who were not educated enough or were unemployed for that matter, and women as well. Access to credit was sourced through multiple means and based on very reasonable terms. He enabled these individuals who were out of scope from mainstream funding to build on their existing skills, to earn better incomes in each cycle of loans, and set a great example on how to get economic parity using crowdfunding. With that, I rest my case on why crowdfunding needs a special mention when building back better. This alternative financing of today has immense potential to be the mainstream of tomorrow. Our two guests today are here to talk about starting up a new business idea, seed stage investments, and crowdfunding. Our first guest is Isabel Sachs. She's the founder of I Like Networking. What's the most interesting part about her platform is A, it was built during this pandemic cycle. B, she's currently running a crowdfunding campaign through NetWest. And when this podcast will be out, perhaps her campaign would have ended, but we are releasing a teaser ahead of time so that our listeners can support this campaign and learn more about it as well. Isabel brings with her global experience and has worn several hats. To name a few, she has expertise in project management and conceptualization of brand strategies, has worked with global players for that purpose, such as Levi's, Converse, Lipton, and many more. She's currently based in the UK, but is originally from Brazil, and she founded an award-winning cultural agency there that offered over 50 events annually, including managing a roster of artists and a theater company. She successfully sold that firm. Welcome, Isabel. We are delighted to have you on board. Thank you. I'm super happy to be here. I'm super happy to have you. Our second guest today is Taha. Taha is a dear colleague from University of Cambridge Executive MBA cohort. Taha Zamir is a founder of Zamir Accountants based in the UK, and he's specializing in helping and coaching young entrepreneurs through early stage of their setup and growth. What he brings with him is global experience across developed and emerging markets. He has led companies through rapid expansion and developed multi-million dollar startups. In 2017, Taha was awarded the Top Performing CEOs and Leaders Prize by the CEO Club. He currently serves as the appointed treasurer at the Manchester Governors Association. And we are absolutely delighted to have Taha on board. Welcome, Taha. Thank you, Sarah. Great to be here. Always a pleasure to connect. 
we'll dive in straight into our asks because Isabel and Taha, we want to hear all about crowdfunding and about your personal journeys and about a lot more. Both of you have been making waves in your own unique way. We'd love to hear, starting with Isabel, share your personal journey as a founder, as an, as an initiator of crowdfunding campaign, please. Yes, I've been working in the arts and culture and entertainment sector for a long time. Uh, as you mentioned, Sarah, I grew up in Brazil and my first company I set up there in 2010. And I worked with talent management, production of cultural events, including films, live concerts, live DVDs, theater, and a lot more. And also I worked for brands that wanted to do bread experiences through music and culture. My actually first crowdfunding experience was back then, where we created our own crowdfunding website because there wasn't a platform that came to Brazil. So that was the first time we did it. And it was super oh, wonderful. Successful. Yeah, it was great. And then after a while, I sold the company. I moved to London. I wanted to pursue somewhat of a different path and still in arts and culture. And I was working here. Then I lost my job during COVID because I was working again with music and festivals. And obviously that didn't make the cut for the virus that's going around. So I saw myself with a lot of time on my hands and decided to do something to benefit the industry and the sector, which was suffering a lot. And that's how I like networking came about, which is a mentoring and networking initiative for women and non-binary professionals in the creative industries. We pair them with mentors from all over the sectors, from all over the world, and they receive not only mentoring sessions, but also networking skills. And the mentors will introduce them to their own contacts to build those relationships. Because of the demand, that was a lot more than we anticipated. It quickly became a lot more than that. So we also launched a podcast and we have a series of events and newsletters and other digital resources to support the most amount of people we can. And so now we decided to do a crowdfunding campaign to raise funds to cover some of those basic costs to make sure that we can have another iteration next year. If I may ask, you know, crowdfunding is a relatively new tool with it, it. It goes back in history, but relatively new in terms of the research that's available on it or the stats that are available on it. You mentioned your first initiative in Brazil. How many years back was that? It was 2010, I think, or 2011. Oh. So really long time ago. Uh, I think the only thing it was the beginning maybe of Kickstarter or one of those. We didn't have the amount of payment tools that safe you know open banking that exists now so the payment wouldn't work if you put a credit card from brazil at the time on those websites so we had to change it all and do one ourselves <laughs> interesting and to have from your side what's your personal journey as a supporter of small and medium business enterprises right so i started off working with larger industry sort of FTSE 100 in the uk and worked with them in manchester Birmingham and London, was headhunted to work on a few very large projects in um, Southeast Asia. You know, there was a project where there were about 100,000 students involved, worked with them to sort of bring their operations and make them more efficient. And then was headhunted to work in another organization that wanted a lot of expansion and wanted it done quickly. So that was my first real flavor of working in a startup environment where even though I was working for a large corporate, the projects I, I had to set up and run 
new, absolutely greenfield project. And I absolutely loved the, the experience of it. And then from then, I was uh, tasked to head was a $5 million startup. We had quite ambitious expansion plans across the continent. I launched that in 2017 and gave them a 10-year roadmap. And then I quit and joined Judge Business School, University of Cambridge, for my MBA. And while doing the MBA, the one thing I realized was there's a lot of talk of the support being out there for startups, but on ground, there is very little support. So I started an, an accountancy practice, but more of a consultancy where we specifically set out to help startups through their journey of growth and registration and, and all of the, the things that follows. Traditionally, an accountant wouldn't you know, touch a, a startup with a barge pole because there's absolutely no benefit of taking a startup on because the, the revenues for an accountant are very minimal and the effort required is tremendous to help a startup to get it all set up. We, on the other hand, said what we'll do is we'll provide all the operational efficiencies um, and pass those efficiencies on to our clients, which is where the idea came from, where we started helping startups. And with that, we started helping them get finance. And that also led us to help them with crowdfunding. And we've worked on a number of campaigns with our clients where we'll help them with their profiles, we've built their financial cases, you know, help them in, uh, have discussions with initial angel investors, VCs, and so on. And crowdfunding is a very effective tool these days. With all the platforms that are available, it is extremely effective. There are limitations to crowdfunding, but for some, it's proved to be quite an effective tool. So that's my journey, Sarah. Um, and uh, yeah, just it's such an exciting time to be working with startups, especially with so many people being made redundant, businesses closing down. There's, there's a lot of entrepreneurship in the air at the moment. Manchester is a big hub. We have clients all across the UK, but Manchester specifically, and where we're based in Salford Keys, is a big hub for startup. And, and it's just uh, fantastic to be in this, uh, in this zone at the moment. It's wonderful that you are actually combining consultancy with accountancy because at the end of the day, it's not just the numbers. It's also the path that you take, the route that you take, that kind of coaching. I would agree, definitely, there is a gap in the market at the moment. So um, absolutely. I think traditional accountancy, for the sake of accountancy, there is, there is no space for that anymore. A simple accounting software can replace is a bold statement but a simple accounting software can replace a traditional accountant these days you've got a you've got softwares that can do your you know your filing for you your bookkeeping for you you've got artificial intelligence built in with these softwares so you know where do accountants come in they've got to add value to the business they've got to go beyond the numbers and help you know the, your clients and uh, go that extra mile just help them with their business development with their cash flow projections with their budgeting speak to them about their needs, about their expansion plans, and, and help them guide them through that journey. I was on the phone with a client just about 15 minutes ago who was having trouble. He's, he's a qualified chef who used to work in the Vatican and was made redundant, set up his own shop. But he, he's having trouble. I was, I was going through details of you know, how I can help him with you know, Facebook and, and advertisement. And we looked at Instagram and we talked about connecting him with people who can, who've been very successful, clients of mine who've been very successful in this food and beverage industry. And you've just, just got to go the extra mile these days, Sarah. That's totally on point. And while we are moving towards making a business case of using different vehicles of funding, Isabel, coming back to you, what was your decision map? What was your thought process like when you started off I Like Networking? What were your 
say, two or three key challenges to start this platform for the creative industry and raise funds? So yeah, I think actually, to be honest, the, the main challenges are coming now. The, my idea in when I had, well, I had this idea was just to do this as a small voluntary project, you know, some sort of side hustle to help people throughout the pandemic. I really did not anticipate the amount of people that would reach out to us with the program. And of course, I shared that I wanted it to be successful to, you know, have a big reach in terms of applicants, but I really had no idea of the amount we were going to have. It was a lot more than we had anticipated. And so it was just after that and the amount of time it took to manage those things that I realized that maybe I have to figure out a way to make this, you know, sustainable somehow. And I knew there were going to be costs involved. And so I thought what's the best way to raise funds for an initiative that's been going on for literally at the time, you know, two months and it's literally about supporting people, but also doesn't have a clear cut business plan moving forward because it's so new and needs some breathing time to figure out the feedback that we have from everyone. So I thought, you know, crowdfunding with this program from NetWest, if you're successful, it they can match fund up to 50% of what you raise of, with a maximum of 5,000. So they can give you up to 2,500. And there's lots of requirements. One of them is that the rewards that you provide need to be either products or services in part. So it's not just donation-based. So it does make you think about things that you can create in terms of revenue, which for us is super useful uh, because I wasn't in the mindset before and it actually helped me to figure out what are the potential, you know, income streams that we can get in terms of turning it into a viable model. And I think I've worked with my grateful, as, as you mentioned at the beginning, as a trustee now, but I used to be a project manager there. And they started off as a social enterprise and now they're a charity. I think structures of businesses in the UK, there are so many options and the types of funding that are allowed for each are quite different. And so I didn't want to make a decision right at the start, like, oh my God, it has to be a for-profit or a social enterprise or, you know, community interest company, et cetera, without actually testing out the idea. So I think the crowdfunding allows for that experiment with the audience and with your products and services. So that was more or less what we thought. So the challenge is coming now when we are finalizing the crowdfunding. It ends on the 20th of October now at 11 a.m. We did receive the match funding from NetWest. So now we have a stretch target coming up, which is super exciting. So if anyone wants to contribute, they still can. The challenge will be now to actually put this practices in place and figure out how to turn this into a more sustainable, you know, startup in a way. So thanks for sharing that, Isabel. Why do you offer the non-mainstream funding alternative like crowdfunding? I mean, what were the plus points you felt were there with crowdfunding really on this project? So yes, I think one main thing is the ability to test out what works with people. So you know, what price points are better. And because some of our rewards or services that we plan to continue, also understand what the people want from it and what exactly is their positioning on the program. It is a very good space for experimentation. So that was our main thing. It was 
the match funding from NatWest was something that was really a plus for us because it meant that if everybody donated and were truly excited about the initiative, we could potentially get this funding then from you know a private uh, investor, which I think for a lot of people was a big thing in terms of, well, I'm donating, but then there's someone else who's going to bring in even more money. So I think that was really a selling point for us for this particular campaign. When I did the first one, which was in Brazil in 2010, it was for a project with a band. We didn't have that many fans in terms of quantity, but there is this theory that you only really need a hundred truly engaged fans. And if they all are willing to give you a hundred, you get a lot of money out of this. And so that's, uh, we needed uh, some extra funding to, you know, finalize a project. And we thought, look, if we give something for everyone in return and they'll pay us with something that they actually want, really is a win-win for everyone. So that was super successful as well. And it was a nice way to engage with some of our most loyal fans at the time and give them, you know, special, I guess, experiences that they wouldn't have otherwise. I think it helps depending on what your strategy is, but it can help a lot with either client acquisition or building an audience, you know, or creating a reach. Thanks, Isabel. One of the recent Innovate UK research shared that access to capital is the most challenging part for most of the startups. What are the available funding options that startups can potentially go to? And what role can an accounting firm play in helping them assess what works best for them? Well, there are various ways of getting finance, but I think the most basic one is, per se, is friends and family. So either you use your own funds, you know, even if it's 100 quid or 500 quid, and once you've, let's just say, exhausted those options, there is a lot of support from the government, predominantly the startup loan structure that the government backs, and that's a loan up to £25,000. That should be a go-to for most startups. The only problem is there is personal liability attached to that. So it isn't a loan to your business. It's a loan to the director. You've got to know the, the basics of it, number one. Two, you've got to make sure that you understand how is it that you um, apply, where do you apply. There are a lot of companies that are offering startup loans, and most of them don't charge anything, but there is a process that you need to follow. Accountants are generally in a very good position to advise their clients what types of finances suit them best, where they can access them, and what documents, what evidences will they need to get those applications through. Now, in terms of other forms of finances, we've mentioned friends and family, you know, we can we can talk about venture capitalists, we can talk about angel investors. But at the end of the day, most startups, when they have just an idea and a no prototype, no cash flow, most banks won't even consider you unless you have some form of cash flow. Lending agencies won't consider a loan to your company if you don't have any form of assets or chargeable assets, fixed assets. So at the end of the day, you've got to look at options for a startup. It isn't about where, where there is no revenue, where there are, where are generally there are no fixed assets. Um, and in most situations, the directors are very young, you know, so there isn't a lot of credit history on a personal side either. Um, so it is challenging, but there are options out there. That's very helpful, Dao. Thank you for that. I know Isabel is more from the creative side of the sector. There was a study 
in the European cultural and creative base, and that was particularly for crowdfunding. And it shared that 80% of the campaigners experienced that crowdfunding was much more than getting access to capital. It helped them develop their audience, helped them get community engagement, it helped them get promotion and market research, really. So, Isabel, during your experience throughout this campaign, did you feel that there were other areas than just getting access to capital that crowdfunding brought with it as a winning streak? Specifically, did it promote a more inclusive thought process or a more diverse sort of a full picture for for your for your line of business yeah i mean i understand the arguments on that study with our campaign i'm not sure that all of those things apply i think to to an extent all crowdfunding starts as an extension of your friends and family network and that it gets people beyond it a little bit it does help us, as I said, with planning specific services that we could offer and then in that way consider our income streams. And so that helped, I guess, with like financial research. It also helped us with identifying some pricing strategies for those services through the rewards that we were offering. But in terms of diversity and inclusion, I'm not sure. I think as a whole, crowdfunding campaigns can really help people that come from different backgrounds to actually reach that. And especially if you're doing a product, you can really build your audience from the get-go. I think a really good example is Bind uh, London, which was a active wear thing, especially for women of color and so on. And that re- was really successful as a crowdfunding campaign and in building an audience and creating anticipation for a product. I'm not exactly sure that all of that applies to us in this case. Would you agree that perhaps it's too early to say as well, because not everybody who would have invested in your your crowdfund campaign would be sort of from your friends and family network, really, right? And especially for sectors such as creative sectors, right? So if you are, your platform by, in essence, is supporting women in the creative sector and non-binary individuals in the creative sector. So that, in a way, is promoting diversity on its own. So from where I see it, for example, even me connecting with you was because I felt that your platform was super inclusive. And yes, that's something that I want to promote. And that's something that I want to be, you know, a part of crowdfund. So maybe not directly, but indirectly, I personally feel it does kind of have a mark oh yeah no in that way for sure i mean we are literally that's our goal to you know get more women and non-binary people either in the creative industries or progressing because the pay gap is still terrible and the promotion rates are really bad and you know representation across the industries hasn't really changed since the 80s in the uk so of course this is our main issue that we're trying to you know address uh, we're obviously not claiming that we're going to solve all of it. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just, as a platform, that's what we're trying and to root. do. But of course, and I think every time you have something going on from a press strategy, press only wants to talk to people that are doing something. So it's either when you're launching or, you know, we're like, oh, I'm crowdfunding or like there's something to hook to it. There's like a call to action, right? So yeah. that if you need to be also smart when you're planning your campaign, about using that as a hook to get some press 
And I think that is really helpful. I mean, we did that into, you know, getting into, I don't know, stylist and, you know, diversity queues of other places. And even here, Sarah, which is lovely. This is my first official podcast interview for some, for another podcast. So super grateful for this opportunity to talk about it and talk about the experience. So again, of course, it's something that came through the whole program as a whole. So I think if you use your cards right, if you play your cards right, then I always get those expressions wrong, FYI. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you play your cards right, then for sure it can add a lot more than just the financial value to it. Yeah, no, the pleasure is all ours and uh, it's not about getting the expressions right. You're doing the right thing and you're supporting the creative sector and that's that's what matters really because uh, you're really putting things into action and it gives us absolute pleasure to see where this goes and I per se would definitely be following your journey. Thank you, Sarah. That's super nice. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, and you've got a new follower in me, Isabel, I must say. Amazing. Thank you. Very, very grateful. We will now invite you to play devil's advocate because you're on the flip side. You are a founder yourself as well, but you hear the challenges that founders face and not just for crowdfunding, but otherwise as well. Do you think crowds are rational? Do you think crowdfunding actually can like fall back in a really awkward way or is there a balance that can be achieved? There's always a case for these platforms being misused and I've yeah. seen examples of that. I've seen these platforms being used for amazing good, very good, you know, social entrepreneurial cases but I've also seen people misuse this and there's more and more guidelines, there's more restrictions on certain platforms like Kickstarter and, and all where, uh, you know, there are non-disclaimer uh, T's and C's, always the case for these platforms being misused, the funds being misused, the founders not really, uh, you know, um, delivering on their promises. So that that is always a case. But let, let's not go away from the fact that as an idea, crowdfunding is fantastic. But for 80% of the people, it doesn't work, right? It just doesn't work. Now, if you look at research from Kickstarter, According to them, 80% of crowdfunding campaigns are non-starters, funnily enough. Um, they don't get any traction whatsoever. The ones that do get traction are the ones that have a very uh, definitive, you know, sort of marketing strategy, content strategy across different platforms that build that story for them. And specifically from Kickstarter, 65% uh, percent more chances of your campaign being successful if you have video content uh, that represents your campaign. So, so the, there is there are do's and don'ts for these. It's not just anyone who, can, who thinks he's got a fantastic idea, creates a page on Kickstarter and, and gets immediate traction. There might be cases that, where that, have, that has happened, but because there's so much noise out there now, it's not possible for um, someone just to get traction that way. So you've got to, you've got to have a solid campaign. You've got to spend... Unfortunately, in certain such situations, a bit of money on your marketing campaign, you know, to get these uh, crowdfunding pages up to scratch, competing with, you know, the others. I know it sounds a bit, you know, economic, but you've got to, you, you have to compete for your campaign to get that the top spot. Indeed, the economic imperative cannot be denied or or not looked at, but I think between you and Isabel, you've, you've uh, brought up some solid points, like 
you need to have the right campaign. You need to do the right marketing, reach out to the right people so that you can, or meet social media forums so that what your message is really can go, it can go across in a, in a nice, concise way. And that I think is a key to, to raising any sort of funding, but more so for crowdfunding because it's actually going out to the crowds. In the light of the pandemic, what opportunities and challenges do you see investors or funders have for crowdfunding? Do you think right now, is there more noise or is there more opportunity? I just want to add to what I said. It's absolutely true. A lot of campaigns fail and it's a lot of work to do crowdfunding campaigns. Both the cases, both times that I did it, they were successful, but it is a lot of work. You need to plan months ahead before you get everything sorted. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily invest any money on it, but you do need to invest time, which, you know, kind of adds up as money. So you need to be aware. And I think you really need to be more or less certain that your idea has some traction ahead of starting. If anyone with everyone's tips, they can talk to me. In any case, I think that with the platform that we use, for instance, instance which was NatWest's Becker Business, they were oversubscribed this year. And they had to stop accepting projects. I think with the pandemic, especially in the creative sector, which is a sector that I know you know best, uh, a lot of people lost their jobs and had to pivot to something else. And a lot of us are freelancers, you know. And so I think a lot of people started creating their own things. And then crowdfunding seems like a really good alternative. But yes, it's a lot. It's a very, very crowded space, and it's hard to get tons and tons of money at this moment in time because you know people have less money. A lot of people that want to support the creative industry first and foremost are in the creative industry that are potentially the ones with less money. So it's complicated. Taha said there are lots of other ways that you can fundraise and create a project, but th- those are my two cents of commentary on the situation <laughs> i think that ha- that is a very solid point and i was speaking to somebody about crowdfunding the other day and that somebody happened to be my father and he raised some a very interesting point he said only raise money from the people if you can deliver because remember at the end of the day you are taking money from the people and you you should really be conscious about it that where and how what is your game plan in terms of investing i totally hear what you're saying isabel that there's a lot of work that goes around before it after it to execute it to then to deliver and um and we wish you all the very best for that and to conclude now would love to hear some parting thoughts Isabel, from your side, what's your winning mantra for putting a startup together? You've not done it once. You've done it twice and raising funding for it. I have two. Is that okay? That's fine. (laughs) Okay. So the number one is that if you don't try, you'll never know. And like in terms of if you try things, you know, especially when it comes to services and things like that, which is what I always did. It's very difficult to know exactly how that's going to be. So you have to be able to test your idea and test it to make sure that that's a viable, you know, project. And on that note, I am a firm believer that it's best to fail fast and fail cheap, you know, which I think it's something that comes from tech. And that's the idea that if you can test your idea fast and cheaply and see if it sticks or not, 
then you can go ahead or not. Instead of spending, that's what I do at least, instead of time, spending too much time deliberating and planning everything, you know, maybe it's best to try it with, you know, faster with less investment and less investment of your time as well. See how it goes, see what the response is and take it from there. Of course, that won't work with every single thing, but I think when it comes to services and things that you can start on your own, especially the creative industry, that's a good call. That's a lovely parting thought. Uh-huh. I completely agree with Isabella. I think you've got to fail and fail and fail and fail before you actually get, you know, to the right people, the right clients, your right niche and, and make your business successful. So absolutely big fan of A-B testing. Test the market before you commit. Small increments make a huge difference in terms of your business model. For me, it's important for any startup or any entrepreneur that you've got to absolutely have flexibility, yet be very resilient. So flexibility in terms of what the market needs, but resilience in believing in your product. That I totally agree with Tara, but also anyone from the creative industry is listening. What he said in the beginning about cash flow is key. Okay, if you don't know how to do a cash flow, how to organize your accounts, get help because that can make or break a company. I think in any field, but especially in the creative world where people don't usually have that training. And yeah. I just want to make that <laughs> very clear <laughs> for everybody. Excel is your best friend. Yeah, and and uh, and companies like like those of Taha were more more than just an accounting firm, but also a consultancy and a coach for startups is a great starting point to go to as well. I love the shout um, out, Sarah. I love. <laughs> Well, uh, we have to support each other, and especially at this point in time uh, where we need the right people and the right uh, coaches and the right support. Well, thank you so much, Esmer and Taha. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the winning side today. Isabel, for you, I, I wish you all the very best. As I said, I am going to be like a strong follower of your journey. And uh, to anybody who wants to support a platform for creative uh, sector, please go reach out to Isabel's crowdfunding campaign and uh, we'll share more details in the description about that. It's time to design, create and build an inclusive club. If you enjoyed this dialogue, please do share this podcast episode as a care gift with your friends, family, and wider network. Do leave us a feedback in the comments section below and follow us on Instagram at the Winning Side Podcast. Till then, ciao ciao.